Well, this is the second time we've tried me being on Zoom and broadcasted over YouTube to folks watching at home. Apparently last week, the sound quality wasn't brilliant, a bit of distortion. Uh, So I've been provided with a new microphone. You can just about see it uh, here. And we're doing some adjustments to it as I'm speaking. Uh, Nick's asked me already to adjust it twice, but I hope the sound quality is uh, helpful to you this evening. Also, I was told last week I did tend to move around quite a bit, which is my my want, but it made some of you feel a little bit seasick as I moved in and out towards the screen. So I'll try and keep a little stiller this evening, but these are exciting themes that we're dealing with, and so a little movement is uh, inevitable. I I would say this as we uh, start tonight's study. Really, if ever a section of the Bible highlighted the great truth that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. It's really highlighted by this section, Romans chapters 9, 10 and 11. They have uh, been chapters which have produced uh, disputes and uh, disagreements between genuine Bible-believing, born-again Christian people over the years. And yet the teaching of these chapters really is very, very plain, if only we would uh, receive it. And yet there seems to be something of a a contradiction between the chapters that we're looking at, chapter 9 and chapter 10 in particular. In chapter 9, we have revealed to us uh, a very awesome, wonderful truth, God's election, God's election, the fact that he chooses a number of people for salvation. Then in chapter 10, we have a switch where the focus comes on to uh, the other angle, human responsibility. We are responsible for how we respond to the gospel call. Now, both truths are revealed. Election, chapter 9. Human responsibility, chapter 10. Many think that these are mutually exclusive. They cannot both be true. Are they mutually exclusive? Well, no, not at all. Not at all. So long as we start at the right point in considering these great truths. Let me begin from this position then. All are dead in their trespasses and their sins. All are dead. It's not that human beings are sick or unwell, but spiritually, all humanity is dead, spiritually dead, totally unresponsive to God. Ephesians chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Not sick, but dead. Ezekiel chapter 37 paints the very grim picture. We're not only dead, we are bones, disconnected bones and very dry at that. There is no way that we can respond to the message of the gospel. We go on to learn that uh, none seek God. There's nobody who seeks God. Um, In fact, it's very emphatic in... uh, Romans chapter 2, there's no one who seeks God. Chapter 3, sorry, no, not one. So out of the billions, there isn't one who seeks God. And all are therefore under God's righteous judgment. And every single human being is earning his wages. Uh, Left to ourselves, we will get what we deserve. And that is death. The wages of sin is death. And man 
is responsible. If I die in my sins, I am responsible for I'm getting the wages that my sin deserves. But, chapter 9, God's purposes in grace mean that some, according to grace alone, will be saved. According to God's foreknowledge, Romans chapter 8, according to his foreknowledge, uh, he predestined a certain number to be saved. He chose a certain number for salvation according to his foreknowledge. I want to think about that, God's foreknowledge, because there are some Christians who say they try and fudge the issue. Oh, well, God foresaw, foresaw who would believe. Uh, he waited, he looked ahead, and he foreknew, he foresaw who would believe the gospel call and those he elected. If that were the case, then salvation is of works, the work of faith. I had it in me to respond, but the Bible is emphatic. I'm dead. I am unresponsive. There's no one who seeks God. But God's foreknowledge is far greater than him just looking ahead. The Greek word is proginosko, uh, to, 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 to before love. Ginosko is a richer word than just knowledge. It is experimental knowledge. Uh, it is to, to love before. Uh, God so loved us before even we were created that uh, he set his love on a certain number. It's not because he's foresaw so I would respond, but before the creation of the universe, he set his love upon the elect. His purpose is according to election meant that some would be saved. And those who will be saved are the subject of divine election. Now, I've been reading uh, a wonderful American preacher who's in glory now called James Montgomery Boyce, and he's got a wonderful turn of phrase here about uh, election. He says that uh, election is God's secret weapon, apart from which none would be saved. Election is God's secret weapon, apart from which none would be saved. Now, the command of chapter 10 to believe the gospel is a right command. Repent and believe the gospel. But left to ourselves, no one will. No one will. And therefore, God unleashes his secret weapon, grace, grace. Isaiah 59, verses 15 and 16, put it very powerfully in this way. God looked and he was appalled that there was no one to intercede. Therefore, his own arm worked salvation for him. His electing grace, chapter 9, saves some, whilst it passes over others. And in chapter 9, we have the case of Jacob and Esau. And we have the case of Moses and Pharaoh. Uh, Jacob is chosen. Esau is passed over. Moses is chosen. Pharaoh is passed over. Now, we can fall into the old trap and pitfall of saying, well, Jacob was a better character than Esau. 
and Moses was a better character than Pharaoh. Away with that thinking. For all of those who represent the entire class of humanity all deserve nothing but the wrath of God. None are worthy of salvation. And for Jacob and for Moses, it's by the mercy and the grace of God that they were saved and not their works and neither was it their own faith, but the election purposes of God. Well, with that as a background, we come to Romans chapter 10 and verse 21, quoting Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 2. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And in a sense, Romans 10 and verse 21 is a picture of what happens when the only element in salvation is Romans 10. If it's just human responsibility, here's a picture of what happens all day long. God will hold out his hands to a disobedient and contrary people. If it's just God who sent his son into the world to live a perfect life and die on Calvary and rise again from the dead and say, well, boys, the the way is open and he holds out his hands, the response from mankind will be nil, zilch. He will hold out his hands all day long to a people who will be disobedient and contrary. They will love their sin. They'll love the darkness rather than coming into the light, which will expose their sin. They will have none of it. They will be totally unaffected, totally impotent, totally unable to respond to the gospel. God, if he is inactive, if he doesn't unleash his secret weapon, nothing will happen. Nobody will be saved through the work of Christ. Now, there are three things I want to uh, bring out from Romans 10 and verse 21. We've got the compassion Uh, of God. There's the first point I want to make, the compassion of God. All day long, I held out my arms, arms being held out, the openness and the heart of God revealed, the the, the welcoming, the the inviting, uh, the, uh, the call to mankind, come, come, There's a real picture here and a remembrance, really, of uh, the father and the prodigal son. Eventually, the prodigal son makes his way back, but it's the father who runs to greet the son who is returning. I wonder what the father was doing in the many months that passed between. Uh, I'm sure he was looking out from the terrace, any sign of his son. But as soon as a speck came on the horizon, there's the father running towards his son or God the father arms held wide Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 to 30 Jesus come to me all you let's not limit that all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest 
Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. Jesus looking at Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and slay those who were sent to you. How often I would have gathered you to myself. I was willing, but you were not willing. Therefore, your house is left to you desolate. The compassion of God all day long I have held out my arms. The compassion of God, let's not belittle the heart of God. God so loved the world, he gave the best. We sang a hymn this morning, a modern hymn. What gift of God is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give, but left to himself, man will reject the gospel offer. There's a wonderful picture of the compassion of God in Mark chapter 1, where a leper comes to Jesus, and he's full of leprosy, Luke tells us, but um, he has a pitiful cry. Uh, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper doesn't doubt that Jesus can make him clean. He knows he has the power. But here's the problem for the leper. I, I just don't know if you're willing. So if you're willing... I know you can, but are, are you willing? That's the problem the leper has. All the way he dragged himself towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I know he can, but will he be willing? Will he care about a person like me? Uh, he does. And then Mark adds remarkably, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the leper. I am willing, he said, be clean. Now, now try and use your imagination now. How did Mark know that Jesus was filled with compassion as he reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean? Mark, we believe, gets his um, material clearly. Obviously, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he was a close companion of the Apostle Peter. We believe that uh, Peter would have related many of these stories uh, to Mark, and Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, writes down exactly what God would have there. And maybe Peter said to Mark, oh, I tell you this, there were tears in the eyes of Jesus. That pitiful cry, oh, Lord, I know you can, but are you willing? I tell you, Mark says, Peter, there were tears in his eyes as he reached out his hand. He knew what this leper had been through and was going through. He knew the anguish of his soul. I am willing, be clean there's the compassion all day long i have held out my arms to you now secondly i want to think about the continuity of it we thought about the compassion but now continually let's focus on that word all day long i have held out my arms this is something continuous continually god has done this and is doing this all day long i've held out my arms now i challenge you now i tried this earlier on today i thought well how long can i hold out my arms for now for the first 10 seconds it's okay uh children you might try this now as you're listening try holding your arms out stand up and hold your arms out how long can you hold your arms out for now, it's about 20 seconds now. My arms are getting a little bit tired. After a minute, I think I did about two minutes. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give this up now. Uh, I can't do it for very much longer. Five minutes, your arms will be very painful. 
All day long, says God, I've held out my arms. He never tires of showing his compassion uh, towards fallen and lost and sinful and hell-bound mankind all day long, all the time. How long is that for God? All day long. All this gospel day, from the time of the fall of Adam and Eve up to this very day, thousands of physical years have passed by all day long. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us, With the Lord a day is a thousand years, a thousand years as a day, all day long, from Adam till now, God holding out his arms in compassion. Well, let's not just think about uh, from Adam till now. Think about this for you personally, my friend. Are you yet still in your sin? Have you yet been saved? If not, why not? The fault isn't on God's side. All your life, he has held out his arms to you. Don't know how old you are now. Children, if you're listening, have you yet responded to the gospel? If not, why not? If you're listening to this service, you're old enough to be saved. You're old enough to be responsible for your sin. God is holding out his arms to you. Every time your parents read the Bible to you, Every time your parents tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ, behind that is God himself holding out his arms to you. Uh, this morning in the church service, when I spoke about uh, Bing, um, God was holding out his arms uh, to you. Uh, when I preached about that work of the Holy Spirit, God is holding out his arms to you. Right now, God is holding out his arms to you. Every Sunday school class you've been to, every sermon you've heard, we're coming to older people now. Are you not yet saved? If not, why not? The fault isn't God's. Continually, his arms never tire. His compassion, it fails not. He's holding out his arms to you. Every tract you've read, every gospel message, every friend who's witnessed to you, every book that you've read, all day long, I have held out my arms all day long. I tell you this, it's compassion, it's continual, it's costly. The compassion of God is, is costly. When you tell somebody you love them, <clears throat> you leave yourself open. There's a certain vulnerability. Maybe you can think back to school days and uh, you really quite like that person in your class or in the other class and you uh, plucked up courage to, uh, to ask them out or to express your, your love for them. At that point, you're very vulnerable. Will they reject you? Will they reject you? Uh, what response will they give? Or to express your love is a, is a costly thing. And God, all day long, how much anguish have you caused God? Uh, his compassion, it fails not, and it's genuine towards you. Oh, Jerusalem. He weeps over Jerusalem. And my friend, if you're not saved, he weeps over you, for he knows your end. His compassion is costly in that it took him to a place where his arms were held out wide and nailed to a wooden cross that you might be saved. You see, the wages of sin is death, and this is how deep the Father's love is for you, how vast beyond all measure 
that he should send his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. His arms outstretched and nailed to a Roman cross that the penalty for your sin and my sin might be paid. And he paid it in full. On the debt, he paid my debt and set me free. Well, there's the compassion of God. Never doubt it. All day long, I've held out my arms. It's continual. It's compassion. It's costly. But here's what happens if it's only Romans chapter 10. It is rejected. The contrary response all day long i've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people a disobedient people when the gospel call comes to you if it is only the gospel call you will reject it because you're a sinner and you hate god and you hate righteousness and you love your sin and you will not come towards the light You'll crawl back into the darkness. Gospel light is shining now and left to yourself. You reject it. We are a disobedient people. You see, the gospel call isn't just a suggestion. When Jesus Christ says, come to me, he's not making a suggestion because he is almighty God. And when God says, come, it's not a suggestion. It is a command. The gospel call is a command. Acts chapter 17, God now commands all men everywhere to repent. He doesn't suggest it. Well, here's an idea for me to think about. It is a command that comes to you right here and right now. But what does it get? It gets a firm no, because we are a disobedient people. Not only that, contrary, hard nose in our disobedience. That's why I read the parable in Luke's gospel. Uh, it's highlighting the rejection of Israel. And that's the passage we're in, remember. Uh, God, uh, God is inspiring Paul to write about Israel and how they are going to all be saved eventually. But as a nation, as a nation, a contrary people, and God sending the prophets and then being stoned and, and rejected. And when the gospel comes, and when the, the air comes, they reject him and drag him outside the city. And he's nailed to a Roman cross and they reject him. They're a contrary. They are hard-nosed in their unbelief. And you and I are just the same. And here's the end of God holding out his arms. And Romans 10 without Romans chapter 9, it is of no effect all day long, but we are unable and unwilling to respond. And God is unable to save because we are dead and he calls, but we don't hear. So God unleashes his secret weapon, Romans chapter nine, which means life from the dead. Grace invades a soul. It's planned in eternity past. It's not due to any merits on my part or your part. It's all of his purposes in election. It's all because of his foreknowledge, his progenosco, his loving us before the foundation of the world and setting in store a, 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 a limitless store of grace to redeem his people. And grace invades our heart in time and space. No permission 
is sought. He is God. And were permission to have been sought, none would have been given, for we are a disobedient and contrary people. There's no one who seeks God. No, not one. So Romans chapter 9 is absolutely vital. Apart from God's secret weapon, his purpose is in election. Not one would be saved. Even though God sent his son into the world to live and die and rise again, if that were all it was, not one would be saved. Nobody would respond. Think of your own case. For years you went your own way and rejected it. What made the difference? God's purpose is in election. God's secret weapon. Uh, he sent his spirit according to an eternal plan to apply the merits of his son, who according to the eternal plan came into the world and lived and died and rose again. And we would refuse him still. If he hadn't sought me first, I would refuse him still. Tis not that I did choose thee, for, Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. I love him because he loved me first. My friends, tonight, as we come to a conclusion, ooh, quite brief tonight, but coming to a conclusion. If you're not yet saved, repent, repent, turn from self and turn to God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you are saved, see it as the mercies of God. Oh, my friends, live for him, live for him. Don't let your heart cool Remember those days in the past when you used to run so well, you'd almost be at every meeting that was offered. Maybe you're a little bit unwise to be at every meeting that was uh, on offer. But now there's so many excuses, aren't there, as to why we can't make a particular meeting. There are reasons why, but so often reasons become excuses. His arms are open. He's offering grace to you even this evening. Let's warm to him. Let's stay in his warm embrace. Let's live for him. Oh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 21. Here's the compassion and the continuous compassion and the continuous costly compassion towards all humanity. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. How we give thanks to God for his secret weapon, his purposes in election, that unleashed a limitless store of grace that invaded our hearts. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this brief time in your word. We thank you for the wonder of your purposes in, in election. If you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. How our hearts thrill with the story of divine grace and eternal grace. Our salvation was planned in eternity past, put into effect in time, applied to our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit, giving us life from the dead. And having received such mercy, help us to live lives fully compliant, fully following, wholeheartedly the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen.